Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke on a passage of scripture on discipleship where Jesus said, unless you put me first and make everything else and everyone else second. So that's father, mother, wife, children, siblings, me first, others second. You cannot be my follower. You cannot be my disciple. This morning we have an event in scripture where Jesus says something very similar to that. And Mark and Matthew and Luke all record this event in their Gospels, their writings about Jesus. So this morning I am reading from Mark's Gospel, reading from Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. And in my study Bible, it's the heading of this section is Jesus describes his true family. And it starts out then, so we'll give some context to the then, but Jesus' mother and brothers come to see him. They stood outside and they sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he looked at those around him, and he said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. As I mentioned that word then, to put it into context, when the chapter opens, we have Jesus healing on the Sabbath. That's not pleasing at all to the, to the Pharisees. He's breaking one of their religious laws. And then he goes out to a lake, and we read that crowds follow him, that there were vast numbers, because they had seen the miracles, and they wanted to be where he was. They wanted healing. They wanted to hear his teaching of authority. And we read that there was no time for him or his disciples to even eat. The crowds were so large. And in verse 21 in that chapter, we already run into Jesus' family. And they had, come, they had heard what was happening, and they went to try to take Jesus away. They were feeling that what Jesus was doing was outrageous behavior, dishonoring their family name. Quote in scripture, he's out of his mind, his own family said about him. And then we read more criticism from the teachers of the religious law. They said that he was demon-possessed. And then we find him teaching again, obviously inside a building because the, the family's outside, they can't get through the crowd. And they send word to him, Tell him, his mother and his brothers are here. We want to talk to him. And when Jesus gets that message, and I'm sure it would have been verbal, so people around would have heard, and Jesus responds, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And we read this, and we find it a bit shocking. It doesn't sound really like what we know Jesus to be and say. But we live in a world where we have children who are doing their own things and they're spread, around, uh, spread out across the country, even across the world. We live in a world of broken families. We have our families with busy lives, busy schedules. And today, for some, there's even more group identity outside of the family. Friendships, a BFF, 
Facebook friends, memberships and groups and universities and clubs and parties. But in Jesus' day and still in many cultures today, not only did you not do that, it was scandalous. I got a small understanding of that when we brought in a, a sponsored family into the Kentville area and we were able to put them up into a beautiful two-story home, lots of bedrooms. And the father was given a job and the employer was so supportive of him so they started to have a good income. But then they found out that there was a relative of theirs in Hamilton, not even a close relative. And there was no stopping that father. They were moving from Kentville to Hamilton because family was there. And they moved up there into a very tiny space. It was mom and dad and six children and number seven on the way. But they were willing to leave all of that just to be with their family. So it was the same in Jesus' day. The bonds were tight. And people lived together and they worked in the same businesses and it was just a God-given understanding. If you break that link of family, you are undermining a major pillar of society. It was the law of God as well. Common piety just demanded that Jesus get up and go out and respect his mother. So the people were shocked that day. And Jesus continually shocked people, and we're going to talk about that. But his response, I can picture him there thinking, I have a teaching opportunity right now. My mother, he says, my brothers, who are they? And then he responds, anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Luke says it just a little bit differently, and so I'm going to use just a line from Luke's gospel. Luke says that Jesus responds, anyone who hears God's word and obeys it. Hears God's word and obeys it. That is my mother, my brother, my sister. I'd like to take just a moment to think about the Pharisees and the religious leaders that would have been in that crowd. As we said, the paragraph start, the, uh, the chapter starts with them criticizing Jesus. And they would have heard these words of Jesus as being scandalous as well. And they would have thought, well, of course you hear God's word and you obey it. And they had just come up with all kinds of rules, nitty-gritty rules that people had to follow. But they would have thought, Jesus, Really? your brothers and your sisters out of this crowd? You're going to call them family? Because they were so exclusive, they would never think to call anyone family who might have a disability, who they consider to be sinners, who they consider to be of a lower class from them, a brother or a sister, no. But we have to ask ourselves, do we ever do the same? When it comes to being part of the family of God, do we have a modern-day checklist? Do we still think ourselves that we have to earn God's love or do penance for forgiveness or be afraid of him? And out of that, do we start to look at others and frown and keep our distance because they are not keeping our Christian rules? Jesus would say to us, don't do that. So going to Jesus' teaching lesson, my brothers and my sisters, he said, are those who first of all hear the word of God and also obey it. So it starts with hearing. Hearing it, hearing it correctly. But how often do we hear the words, get the information, but that's as far as it goes. 
You know, many of us are very well-fed in our churches, well-fed with scripture, well-fed from Bible studies. But have we let the information go from our heads to our hearts? Let it change us. Have you ever been in a room where there's an adult talking to a child and the adult's voice rises and rises, saying the same thing over and over, but the child just keeps doing what it, what it pleases? That child is tuned out, not listening anymore. How many of us are like that when God tries to speak to us? To really hear, we have to be growing and maturing and letting God change us and change our hearts. And we don't explain to a five-year-old information in the same way that we would give that information to a 25-year-old. Although sometimes we do find it easier to talk to a child than a stubborn adult. But we need to keep on reading and growing so we can understand with a mature faith, that we can hear it well with maturity. I thought of three areas around hearing God's word. Number one, I've often heard people say, well, I try to read the Bible. I just can't seem to get anything out of it. It's dry. It's just words on a page. I think I can stand here and guarantee this morning, if you ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand God's word, you will. It's an answered prayer that I believe God wants to answer for every one of us. We will hear it and understand. And number two around hearing, we know right from wrong. We know when it's more than just a conscience that we are hearing God say, do this or don't do that. No one has to tell us when we get that nudge from God. Sometimes it's a punch in the stomach. That's hearing as well. Will we feel that, hear that, obey that? And number three on hearing God, I think we need to mention it, that we need to be very careful when someone says, well, God told me to do that. The deacons are studying a book entitled Making Peace. And it says that we need to hear statements like that. First of all, yes, with utmost respect and caution. Respect because God can and does speak still through his people. But caution as well. Because our hearts are so self-deceiving that often we cannot distinguish what we're hearing from God and what we're just saying to ourselves. It says that truth must always be tested, always brought out into the light, the work of faith that's interpreting and proving God's word in community as we hear it together. So we have a lot to learn about hearing God's word, his voice, before we can even get to the obeying part. We need to keep on maturing and learning. But then there is that part too, obeying. Jesus tells of a father who said to his two sons, I want you to go out today and work in the vineyard. We could relate that perhaps to a father saying to two sons, go clean up your bedroom. You've got to get your homework done. Go put those dishes in the dishwasher. And the first son says no. But then he goes and does it. He changes his mind. And the second son says, certainly, father, I will do that. Almost right out of leave it to beaver. But he walks away and he doesn't do it at all. And Jesus asks the question, which son obeyed the father? And we relate to both of those sons, don't we? I admit I was quite a rebel when I was growing up. Lots of things that my parents knew. There were lots of things that my parents didn't know. I saw smiles and nods. Yes, I'm not up here by myself in that. We need to obey God, 
not just say that we're going to do things. And we need to remember that obeying is ongoing. As I said, it's not a list that we just pull out and tick it off. We need to know how much we're loved by God, and we need to want to hear him out of that and then obey and not obey out of fear. We're following a loving God, so we hear and we obey. My mother, my brother, my sister is the one who hears God's word and obeys it. This whole situation, as I said, was very shocking to the people of Jesus' day. One commentary said that unless you understand, verses 34 to 35, that these are my brothers and my sisters, you've missed the whole message of this passage of scripture. Jesus turned the ideas of religion of that day upside down. And many loved that. They loved the freedom. They followed him because of what he was teaching. But many said, no, we are not going to listen to that way of teaching. We're going to do religion as we think religion should be done, the way that we've always done it. We have our laws. Maybe in the rebel in me just loves Jesus who shocked the people. But I find Jesus just as shocking today, if we'll let him be. If we will sit with scripture, we'll still be shocked. But sadly, we become very numb to even verses that we're very familiar with. I challenge you this afternoon to just go home and read Matthew 5. A few examples. Jesus says, you must not murder. But then he says, if you're angry at somebody, same thing. He says, if you bring your sacrifice to the altar, today that would mean if we put money in the offering plate, if we come in to serve, if we go to community to serve, Jesus says, stop. Don't put the money in. Don't do another thing. If you know that your brother or your sister has something against you, if you're not reconciled, go and do that first. Jesus said, do not commit adultery. But he said, if you even look at a woman with lust, you're doing the same thing. And love your neighbor. And that also includes loving your enemy. Shocking to people of that day. When did we stop being shocked by the call to a higher standard of being Christians, followers of Jesus? And he still loves to shock us and shake us up in wonderful ways. He's still doing many, many miracles in our midst. Wednesday night, he broke through in that transitional discussion meeting. He shocks us often with the plans that he has for us. Many of you have heard me say that I, was, I had finished ministry at Bethany Baptist Church in Aldershot. And my plans were to move from Kentville down to Dartmouth to be near my family. Shock, shake up. Jesus picked me up, moved me to Truro, put me in the middle of Emmanuel Baptist Church. When we hear God's word, when we obey it, we are invited to an ultimate family relationship. When I read that, I thought, what a beautiful description, an ultimate family relationship. Anyone who hears God's word and obeys it is a mother, a brother, a sister in the family of God. That should overwhelm us. In Romans 8, it says, all who are led by the Spirit of God as hearing and obeying are children of God. You know, many people today are researching their family tree. Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? Our family tree can bring a lot of surprises. <laughs> and in one of our classes at Divinity College, we were asked to do a genogram. We had to go back at least four generations and do some of the research into our family of things like the age to which they lived. 
What were the health situations, the heart, the lungs, diabetes? Was there any depression? What about marriages and divorces in your family for four generations? Pregnancy, abortion, miscarriages? Were there any addictions? What level of education was reached? What careers did your family have? What denominations did they worship under? What was their Christian view, their walk? It was not an exercise for the faint of heart. Many of us found we were not in an ultimate family relationship. And by the time most of us finished that exercise, we had a wonderful new appreciation of what it meant to be in God's family. And how many times have you heard people say, well, that's just who I am. I've always been like this. That's my personality. I get it from my mother, I get it from my father, I get it from Uncle Leopold, I get it from Aunt Penelope. It's just who I am. And it's the end of the discussion. Or others say, I've been very hurt. If you knew what had happened to me in the past and what people have done to me, that has made me what I'm like today. Here is the invitation this morning. Jesus wants to help us break those cycles. Come and hear and obey, he says, and be my brother and my sister in an ultimate family relationship with me in God's family. It's an invitation to all of us who will receive it. Well, what is it like, really, to live in this family of God? I'm going to take it, number one, from God's point of view. We are his children. I often want to say what patience our God has. But first of all, God has no favorites with us as his children. You may have had a brother or a sister who was mom or dad's pet. Not with God. He loves us all equally. And he loves every color, every race, every culture, every creed. Racism is alive and well in our world. My son-in-law is black, so our family has come up close to some of the racism around that. I've done some work with the indigenous on relations and reconciliation. I've seen that and the racism that's so insidious. This week is the beginning of Ramadan. God loves those who are observing Ramadan, but he wants to bring them closer to himself, into the family. We need to pray for those people. God shows no gender discrimination, male or female. He shows no ageism. None of us is too old or too young. He says, respect the wisdom of age and experience. Older women, older men, teach the younger. And Paul, in his letter to Timothy, said, don't let anyone disrespect you because you're young. We have so much to learn from our youth, their passion, how they serve, their place in this world, and how they're already molding it for the future. And of course, Jesus loved the children. I read one time that we should have our bulletins with lines on them. So if you fold them according to the lines, you'd have these little paper airplanes. I think adults, I'd love to see some of those just flying through our congregation some morning. Because our God loves humor. He loves joy. I read of a woman who had been at a youth center, and then they went after that to one of the homes. And there she saw couples and families and single people. It was intergenerational. They were all interacting together. This is what family love, she said, should look like, where everyone lives out their faith as easily as they breathe. A beautiful definition of being in God's family. And God says, of course, that we can ask anything of him as his children. 
if we know how to give good gifts to our children and people that we love, how much more will our Father give us the Holy Spirit and wonderful gifts? And then the other side of that, what about us in the family? Peter said one time to Jesus, I have always thought it was a terrible remark, he said, if we're going to be a follower of you, Jesus, what do we get out of it? But we do get so much. Micah, in a message last February, said we get to call God Abba, a beautiful endearing term of dad or daddy, so close. We get new brothers and sisters. I still have my family in Dartmouth, and I lived there for many years, so I have a lot of friends there that I would call my Christian family. I still have brothers and sisters in the family of God in the Kentville area. I love them. I'll, I'll always love them, always be friends with them. And now I've been able to add all of you, just extended my family in the last couple of months. How cool is that? And guess what? You all, you got a new sister as well. We need to get to know each other and to love each other, warts and all. And we confess to one another. I mentioned that earlier. We say we're sorry when things go wrong. Not just words, but taking responsibility for making it right. We said that Wednesday night. Repentance is going to be key for us being family and moving forward as Emmanuel. We get to laugh together. We need so much more laughter in our churches. We cry together. We face circumstances in life that are difficult, sickness and grieving. We need to be there together, just in our presence, in practical ways of helping. And we said Wednesday night we need to grieve together other losses as well. Pastors who are no longer here. Friends who are no longer here. We get to fellowship together and I heard that people want much more of that. We learn to share and serve together and te Thank you, thank you, who did that? Well done. <laughs> love it, love it. Because <laughs> it felt so serious. Not, not to judge you, but the first, first service, people were really chuckling a lot. Thank you for that. <laughs> I thought, what's wrong? Oh, this is good, this is good. <laughs> oh, we come to laugh together, it is so good. And we come here to be encouraged. You know, we've, we've heard of families. Some of you have come out of families where kids are put down. Not here. We should never, ever be put down in God's family. And we talked on Wednesday night about truth and love. And we said that we can give all kinds of love. But if we don't put truth with it, we're just enabling. It's not love in its truest sense. But we can give truth. And we can tell people exactly what the truth is, and we can be absolutely right. But if we don't have love with it, we're not being true. Truth and love. And of course we get support in prayer. We get the support of praying with and for each other. Get to ask God together to change our hearts and rejoice in that. Many of the people of that day did not understand what Jesus was talking about at all. I'll leave you with the question, do we understand it this morning? Jesus was explaining that in our spiritual family, the relationships are ultimately more important and longer lasting than even some of our physical family relationships. Would you agree with this quote? The church should give the loving, personalized care that many people find nowhere else. A loving, personalized care for one another and for others that many people find nowhere else. What an opportunity we have.
What if we miss it? What if we don't hear God's word or what if we hear it but don't obey it? What does that mean for us? We miss out on all that he's planned for us. We miss out on all that we're meant to be. We miss out on freedom, peace of mind and heart, relationships, uh, a sense of joy that we should be living as we should. We miss out on life. Jesus promised us life. And when we don't hear God's word or if we hear it and we do not obey it, what does that mean for our God? When we do hear it and obey it, God is honored. Jesus did nothing without asking his Father first. And when we don't hear God's word or hear it and we don't obey it, we dishonor God, we dishonor the family. The commentary said that this whole scene showed how the people just stayed with Jesus. And the commentaries felt that that was part of the message that day. If we stay with him, he models how to be a child of God. He shows us how to act it out, how to enjoy it, how to receive all the blessings. You've all seen those times where a, a younger brother or sister tags along with the older. We get to tag along with Jesus, and he never tells us to go away that we're annoying him. He wants us there. And for me, as with many of you, when I was growing up, what the neighbors thought was everything. Anybody go through that? Yes, I see the nods. What will the neighbors think? So we finished supper quickly, and we got the dishes done in case somebody should happen to drop in. And I remember the day that I hung the clothes on the line, and I hung them out wrong. <laughs> I, I remember the day, and I was in my early teens, so we share a name. We share the name of Christian. We're in Christ's family. So what the neighbors think matters. What are they saying? Are they saying, look at those Christians. Look how they love each other. Look how they serve. Or are they saying, look at those Christians. And you can fill in the blanks with the negatives. Negatives that push people out of the church and keep people away from the church. And I do believe that our style of worship our welcome, our facility, our Christianese, the language that a lot of people do not understand. We really have to consider those things. But what does God's word say to us? They will know we are Christians by our love. Our love. How we treat one another. How we treat others. And most serious of all, I close with this this morning. These words of Jesus. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. And that's what we've just talked about, hearing and doing. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. You who do not hear, or you who hear and do not obey. We have so much to receive. An ultimate family relationship with Jesus, with God our perfect Father, with each other. We have so much to lose. We will never be forced. The choice is ours. Let's pray. Loving God, help us to choose life. You draw us 
into family with you. You love us. You don't draw us in by fear, by judgment. You draw us in by love. Help us to accept that invitation. Help us to hear. Help us to be in scripture, learning about you, being in Bible studies, God, just hearing and then obeying, but obeying out of our great, great love for you and in our relationship with you. So touch our hearts today, Lord. Take our hands. We need your help. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.